<clears throat> Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I'm glad to be with you again this morning. Gary will be back next week, and I know you'll be pleased with that. I appreciate Gary very much and his commitment to the Lord and to his word. I'm grateful to help out uh, anytime I can. For those of you who were not here last week, let me tell you where we are. I uh, am preaching on Ecclesiastes 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12. We looked at chapter 11 last week, and today we're going to look at the final chapter, chapter 12. A couple of reminders uh, for you. The writer of Ecclesiastes, in, in the Hebrew, his name is Koholith. So when I refer to Koholith, I'm talking about the author of Ecclesiastes. The scripture that you have refers to the writer as the preacher. They are all one and the same, so just keep that in mind. And I've asked, I asked Mary Bradley if she would put the 12th chapter in your bulletin so you can have it to refer to as we work down through that chapter this morning. So I call your attention to the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes, and if you will stand for the reading of the word, we'll proceed. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. Terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself alone, and desires fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity says the preacher. Now besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed at the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books, there is no end, and much study 
is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And may God bless us as we look at this portion of his word. You may be seated. Well, I trust you've had a good week and that you thought serious, have thought seriously about the challenge that I left with you from chapter 11 last week. And I hope you thought about and are satisfied that you pretty much are convinced that you have the right perspective of life and all, all that's involved in that. I hope you've been enjoying your life this week more intentionally because of the instruction we heard last week. Have you thought about yourself some this week, your limitations, all the opportunities that God has given you, even though you're finite and you're going to die? Well, maybe you're still struggling. Maybe you're not yet able to deal with some of the uncertainties of life as well as some of the certainties that we looked at last week. Maybe you've thought about some of those things this past week or maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I'm sorry. Because I believe thinking about some of those things that we looked at from chapter 11 is a key to helping us enjoy life by doing what God tells us to do. As, as we were reminded, how we think about things determines how we live, and our outlook. There's simply no getting around it. If you want to live a full and happy life, you've got to have the right perspective in order to try to put things together, the, the trials and the tribulations that you're sure to face, we must know how to think as God would have us to think about life and reality. Now, in saying that, I, I also I know that God doesn't wire us in the same way. For example... The way he put me together, I like to start with the big picture and then work the details into that picture. But I realize there are others that had rather start with the details and try to build them into the big picture. Now life is like a puzzle, all those pieces there. And sometimes we look at look at all of the the mess. And they don't make sense. When we start putting the puzzle together, it's always a help to, to look at the picture that's on the cover of the box that holds those pieces so that we'll know what it is we're working on or working towards. And of course, the key to putting that together is knowing what the picture is going to look like when it's finished. 
if God is not the picture, if he's not the ultimate and final reference point in our lives, then we may not and probably will not see things, life, as God would have us to do and understand it as he would have us to understand. And things just would seem to be chaotic and fragmented and messy as we look at the life around us. But remember, uh, the chapters in in the book of Ecclesiastes focus on chapter 11, at least, focuses on our life here on earth. And it also carries over to chapter 12, where God wants us to focus on things that are going on here on earth, but with eternity, with heaven in sight. We saw some interesting things last week from Koholith about this life. The main thought is there are those uncertainties, and we listed some of those in the category. And there are certain certainties uh, in life. We can't avoid them. So we have to know how God would have us understand those uncertainties, and as well as the certainties. If you remember last week, as we worked through chapter 11, we learned three things by way of review, first of all, whether we're young or whether we're old, we are to enjoy life. That's one. Second, this is where the contrast between how a non-Christian looks at life and a Christian looks at life comes into the picture. Christians need to live every day with a little bit of homesickness for heaven. We need to think about heaven more. But at the same time, we're to live every day to its fullest here on earth. And as chapter 11 says, we're to enjoy life. The third thing we learned is that thinking about God, thinking about death, are not accidental things. We think about those things because God has put them into our minds and put them into our hearts. Therefore, as we move from the youth period of our life to old age, we're to think about those things. And knowing that we're not going to be here forever is a key to helping us understand what life is all about. Because we know as a Christian, whether we are in sickness or health or want or plenty, we're the Lord's. So in the ninth verse of chapter 11 of of Ecclesiastes, Koholis says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Even though you know there's a coming judgment, which in Ecclesiastes is referring to death 
even though you know death is coming, and as, even as you begin to slow down, I say we begin to slow down a bit, things don't work as well as they, they once did with us. We can keep going forward. Because we know, as the writer of Hebrews says, the best is yet to come for us. And this morning, as we move into this 12th chapter, there are two parts to chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and then the rest of the chapter. And the chapter, verses 1 through 7, Kaholith continues to expound on the things that he introduced to us in chapter 11. So think of first the first seven verses that you have there as the rest of the story from part one back in chapter 11. And in this section, he embellishes a bit what he has already said in chapter 11, especially addressing the young people. He says, rejoice, young man or young woman, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. He says, there are some things that are better learned in life while we're young. And he lists some of those things that we need to learn while we're young. Because the older we get, the more we will benefit from those things if we learned them while we were young. So as he opens up the chapter 12, verse 1, and you can follow along a bit with your scripture, he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in living. So Kaholith again challenges the, you young people to grab hold of certain truths of God while you're young. To know what the grand narrative of God is really, the story of God is really all about. This is God's world. He's the creator of it. And life is primarily about him not about us. Now we are significant because we are his image bearers created in his likeness. The point I think being that earlier the rising generation of young people learned this, the more they will benefit from having learned those things Early on in their lives. And we need to know and remember that God is the only starting point or reference point for us to understand what life is really all about. Where we're going. Who we are. Why we're here. And so on. We know that during the youth period of our life. It's a time of searching. It's a time of asking to know and seeking to know. To know who they are. And to begin to come to grips with why they are. 
And they need to know that because we're living in a screwed up world that's very messy. And we need something to help us make sense out of all that, that we're exposed to in living our life. Now, I can't overemphasize, as I follow both chapters 11 and 12, how important it is for us to learn these basics while we're young. And then remember them as we continue to grow old and age. Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books, as I said last week, instructs us, starting with our youth, to remember who God is. He's the creator God. But you know, one of the ways young people remember the creator in the days of their youth is by watching older people and seeing how they live life, how they handle the perplexities, the calamities, the trials, the tribulations, and so on. So those of us who are older need to realize the challenge that is to us to set a godly example for the young people so that they can learn those things from us. They watch us. And sometimes our examples are good. And sometimes they're not so good. But we need to live out our faith before the young people so that they'll see the reality of God and helping them to understand life. You know, it's an amazing testimony, I believe. As I read statistics today about the younger generation, many of them are saying they would love to relate to older people. And they're older people who need to relate to younger people. Younger people, older people. Older people, younger people. But let me ask both you young people and uh, those of us who are older. First to the older, when have you had a substantive conversation with a young person? And young people, when have you had a meaningful conversation with an older person? And I don't just mean mom and dad. Though I wouldn't rule that out. Youth is a period of life that's fast moving on. And it will be followed by old age. Which will be followed by death. From youth to old age to death. That's life's pattern. That's how God has designed it. And it's because we need to know how to live this ongoing life that we need to learn as a young person how to do that. And if we start with God when we're young, the implication from chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes is that when we get old and the evil days come, as he says, which is a reference to getting old, the years draw near when we will die, so much so that we might even say there's no pleasure in my life anymore. 
But we need to remember, that's the way a non-Christian approaches life. That life is meaningless. There's no pleasure in it. That's not the Christian way. Ecclesiastes helps us, if we get, get his point, to learn how to think like a Christian about life. And I told you last week, remember, we have those three choices. To be a Christian and think like a Christian. Or to be a Christian and not think like a Christian. Or to be a Christian and sometimes think like a Christian. And sometimes not to think like a Christian. But when we think like a Christian, this life cycle process, which finally brings us to death, we know, as my sermon title in the bulletin uh, indicates, it's not always death to die. And I want you to learn that phrase. I want you to repeat it often. It's not always death to die. And if we're a Christian, we know what that means. If we're thinking rightly about life, we won't live with a negative attitude or outlook. And one of the things is that people who are negative about life find very little pleasure in living it. And that's what Koholis says here. Therefore, having set the stage in verse 1, of the 12th chapter, he then goes on to describe the aging and the dying process. And, and it's not meant to be humorous, though, though it could be humorous as we work through this. But it, it's meant to spark our imagination. And the thoughts that he has here about getting old could easily depress us. It causes us to be gloomy about life. But we know where he's going with this. He's trying to show us and encourage us how to think about life as a Christian is supposed to think about it. Now, Ecclesiastes, as I said, is one of my favorite books in the Bible because of what it does. The first ten chapters of Ecclesiastes deals more with the philosophy of life. But when we get to chapters 11 and 12, Koholith writes more, not as a philosopher so much, but as a pastor. Because he wants us to understand what this philosophy of life, of being a Christian, looks like pastorally. Now, I don't have the time this morning to go in depth about all that he says here, and what is allegorical, what is literal, what is figurative, what is metaphorical. I want us just to look at this and read it for what he says and try to get a little glimpse of what he means with some of this imagery that he has. While it is true that youth is generally viewed as a time of enjoying life, and getting old is a time in which we don't find life as pleasurable as we used to. Seeing God in the midst of that is the key 
to helping us see life as he wants us to see it. The truth is, if you look at your text, the light's going out on us at some point. Listen to what he says. The sun, the moon, and the stars will darken. And the clouds will return after the rain. In other words, to die is inevitable. And it's not just for older people, however, because we know locally and globally, young people also die. Starvation, disease, birth problems, war, drugs, and so on. It's not just the old people that die, but his point is he wants us to know as we get older that we're going to die, and he wants us to know how to do that. So in the closing chapter here of the book of Ecclesiastes, he combines that grand narrative, starting with life from the beginning, life along the way, Death and eternity. And what he's saying basically is that a way a non-Christian understands those things is different from the way a Christian is supposed to understand those things. We have a different perspective about death as well as life. We know we're going to get old, and we know we're going to die, but we know that it's not always death to die, and that really sums up the grand narrative of of the book of Ecclesiastes. He wants us to know that. Now, we have to have the gospel what Christ did for us on the cross to fill in and help us understand why it's not always death to die. Remember Jesus said, whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die? That's why it's not always death to die. But I really like the way Koholith expresses this, his motive and purpose in writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at verse 9. He says, I've built what I say on God's truth. God's revealed truth in many proverbs. I compiled, I edited, I wrote these words with great care. I sought to find words of delight. And I sought to write these words uprightly. I tried to select words of the wise because there are so many other books written, (laughs) some okay and some not okay. But he said, I wanted this book of Ecclesiastes to be right on target, right to the point, and instrumental in helping you develop a Christian world and life view by helping you do that, by showing you the contrast of the non-Christian view. And you know, actually, 
We can know the Bible in one sense, but never really understand much of what the Bible says. But I don't think you can read or study the book of Ecclesiastes and conclude with a so what or whatever kind of attitude. The book of Ecclesiastes helps us to develop a worldview that's not characterized by doom and gloom and despair. It helps us to see life Warts and all, problems and all, in a way that doesn't throw us for a loop, but helps us to better prepare to live life and to face death. Now that's the general overview of, of this message in chapter 12, and because of time, Time element. I'm not going to be able to, to delve in too deeply to the imagery that he uses here, but I want to give you an idea. And again, I want you to look at the scripture that's, that's in your bulletin, and so we can get an idea of what he's talking about. First of all, he uses the word darkness. You see that? Darkness refers here to failing eyesight. The clouds and the rain sound like glaucoma or maybe macular degeneration or maybe cataracts. He's talking about vision is not clear and even begins to grow faint as we get older. And in verse 3, he turns to a house imagery. And in that house imagery, he refers to four different types of people. Look at that in verse 3. The first one he refers to are the keepers of the house, the guardsmen. He says the keepers or the guardsmen of the house tremble. The second group are the strong men are bent from age. They're the landowners. They own the house, the strong men. The grinders are the women. It refers to the women whose job it is to take the grain of wheat and grind bread out of it. And the, uh, those who look through the windows, you see that? Those who look through the windows refers to the wealthier women of the house who don't have to work every day and all they can do is look out the window. So, what does he say about that? They all fear and tremble getting old. And they get fewer and fewer. The socially upper class Lives are dimmed because their lives are being snuffed out. They die too. Dim, of course, in here is a good way for him to talk about death, uh, pending death. 
but to remind us that death is a reality, whether we're rich or poor, white or black, educated or uneducated, young or old, death is inevitable. It's no respecter of persons. Verse 4, he says, the doors of the street are shut. In other words, we do not see as well as we used to. Our hearing is not as good as it used to be. The sound of the grinders is low. But interestingly enough, he says, (laughs) that people who get old may not be able to hear well, but they have the uncanny ability to hear the sound of a bird. And I can testify to that with myself and my wife. Frequently we find ourselves sitting in the den having to repeat or shout back and forth to one another so we can hear. But my wife can hear the drop of a pin. I can't. I've got a similar problem, Elliot, to you with my hearing. (laughs) But he says that's what happens in old age. You lose your hearing, but the uncanny part is it may be sharper (laughs) than ever before. The two characteristics he refers to here of old age are hearing loss and restlessness. Remember he says here the grasshopper is dragging itself around. The daughters of song is a reference to the female singers who are brought low. And they too begin to fade into nothingness. And in verse 5, this is an interesting verse. He reminds us that they were afraid of what, as you get older, they're afraid of what is high. And the terrors along the way. You know, one of the characteristics of old age, as a matter of fact, it's listed as the number one fear for old people, is falling. Just what he says right here. And often they are hesitant to go into public for fear of falling. The almond tree blossoms. That is, the hair turns gray. For some of us, it not only turns gray, it turns loose. (laughs) The grasshopper dragging itself around. It just becomes harder and harder and harder to get around as we get older. And man's desires, he says, which is a reference to man's sexual desires, fails. They didn't have Viagra and stuff like that back then, but they did have the caperberry, which was a natural stimulant. But their desires tend to fail. Man is going to his eternal home. That's what life is all about. He's going to die. And people are going into the streets and attend his funeral. Now look at verse 6 with the metaphors he uses to talk about this. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. In other words, death 
has come. There will be a funeral or maybe a memorial service without a doubt. So seek not to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And Ecclesiastes uses four expressions put together in two pairs to make his point. To make his point about death, he says, when the silver chain breaks and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the well or the fountain because the pulley or the wheel is wearing out. This is a good way to remind us that life has value, but some things in life don't have any value. Once those things break, they're good for nothing. If that's all there is, that is, they're good for nothing. Remember, as I told you, he's speaking to us here right now about living in this earthly life. From an under the sun perspective, and when you read that phrase in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, that's the non-Christian's way of thinking about these things. And right now, that's what he's doing. He's trying to show us how a non-Christian thinks about all these realities. But from the Christian perspective, he uses the Uh, Silver and the gold is reminders that we're created in God's image. We do have value. Life is precious. And it's wonderful because God has given it to us. It's suggested that the two most essential things that we need in life are light and water. But at death, it doesn't matter because everything breaks down. The mortal puts on immortality. And verse 7 reminds us that we're going to return to dust. We will die. We will be embalmed or maybe cremated. And we'll be buried. Our bodies will decay. And we're going to return to dust. That's all we can hope for. Because at death, the body dies and deteriorates. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. You see what he does there? He reverses God's original creation. You remember he made man out of the dust of the ground? And he breathed life into his nostrils? He says at death that will be reversed. Therefore, in in light of all of this, youth, life, death, which we can't escape, the aging process, which we can't escape, all we can say about that is life is meaningless. It's vanity. There's no purpose in my life. All is vanity, he said. Meaningless, meaninglessness, absurdity, vanity. And you see what he does there here at the last chapter? He goes back to what he started with. If you go back and read chapter 1, 
Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. The point is, our life is not ours to keep. We have not earned the right to keep it, nor have, will we be able to keep what we have earned. <laughs> we can't take it with us. Our life is not ours to keep. Whatever we have is not ours to keep at death. But really it doesn't matter because at death that's the end of everything. Now again, keep in mind, he says that's how the non-Christian looks at all of this. So having said that, and having painted what we could say is somewhat a gloomy picture about these things, because that's how a non-Christian views them, he hastily wraps up what he's saying and what he wants us to learn beginning at verse 9. And I believe that how he does this is consistent with what he does throughout the entire book by contrasting the non-Christian approach to life with the Christian's approach to life. Whereas the non-Christian approach leaves us with the feeling of doom and gloom, the Christian approach leaves us with the feeling of joy and happiness. And that's why I could say back in the 11th chapter, make every day a good day. So first of all, look at verse 10. Kohola taught the people with knowledge, weighing, studying, and arranging many proverbs with great care. What he wrote, he wrote very carefully because his desire was to communicate to his readers a Christian view of life. And he wanted to do that as clearly as possible. Verse 10, he indeed was a wise person. Some people think the author was Solomon with all of his wisdom. I'm not sure about that. But whomever Koholith is, he was a wise person. And he said, I chose, I attempted to choose words of delight. And to write these words fairly and uprightly and with great integrity. Now there are some who have said that when he said I attempted to choose indicates that he never really succeeded. But I don't believe that. I believe he accomplished his purpose in writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Because he says the only way to view life is from God's perspective. And with faith and trust in him. You know, we need that perspective because the words of the wise, verse 11, he says, are like goads, like nails firmly, uh, firmly fixed, given by the shepherd, the one shepherd. In other words, God inspired these words that I've written for you here in the book of Ecclesiastes. You remember the goads? Well, those long shepherd sticks that they used had nails on the end. They would use them to keep the sheep together and on the straight and narrow. And that's what the Bible is all about. Keeping us on the straight and narrow. Keeping us 
where God wants us to be. Now, the climax and the end of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is so appropriate in stating that a Christian world in life view prevails after all has been heard. Verse 12, he says, okay now, <laughs> I'm closing this book, but, and no more Mr. Nice Guy. Here's the bottom line. Here's the formula that I have for you. Here it is, and I want you to get it. He said, I have shown you, I have shown you your three choices in the matter of thinking and living like Christ. If we have a Christian perspective, we know that we know what's out there, what lies ahead. And when those things come, they will not throw us for a loop because God has told us that's just how his design for life really is. And so when we get older, we don't worry about it. Now, this is a biographical sermon on my life because I, I have to confess I do worry about getting old. And I have to ask God to forgive me for that and help me to apply what you learn here from the, from the book of Ecclesiastes. But Kaholith couldn't be clearer in his purpose and what he's doing. What we're to think about and what we're to do. We are to fear God and keep his commandments. He said, this is the whole duty of man. This is what life is all about. Fearing God, not in some terroristic way. Not in some running away from God way. But in loving God and worshiping him and serving him. Respecting God. Keeping him at the center of our life. That's what life is all about, fearing God and keeping his commandments. Now, we can do that, we know, because we have the rest of the story. We know that Christ died on the cross. He suffered for our sins. He died for our iniquity. And he rose again for our justification. So because of who Christ is and what he's done... We can follow this duty that he's assigned to us, to fear God and keep his commands. He's not talking about earning your salvation. He's talking about earning the privilege of living a Christian life like God wants us to do. So you see, for those of you who were here last week, it's no accident that we think about God or religion. You remember we, we saw... The story last week of how the psychologist from Yale University said we think about God and we think about death because of a malfunction in our brain. But we know that our religion serves a godly purpose. It's an unfolding of God's plan. And we know if we're thinking right and we put our Christian thinking cap on, that we're in God's plan. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We know the story. God created. Man fell into sin. Christ came and did redemption on the cross. 
And now the Holy Spirit has, a, has and is applying that redemption to, to our lives to reassure us that whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. And that God's word never fails. He never goes back on his word. And he says, I work all things together for good to those who love me, to those who are the called according to my purpose. That's what he does. And that's the attitude, my friends, that I believe God would have us to live in our lives every day so that we can understand who he is and what he wants us to do and not be knocked off course. You know what that means? You need the goad with the nail on the end. You need to read the Bible. The Bible teaches us how to think about God and what to think about God and what to think about ourselves. So we need the Word of God as the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our pathway. As David said, Because we need to stay on the straight and narrow. We need to think as God would have us to think. And not buy into the lies of our enemy, the devil. Who would have us to have a negative view about life and eternity. So that's the instruction from Ecclesiastes. And again, that's why I love this book so much. It helps to develop a Christian worldview, a Christian perspective about life. And I would encourage you in your own own life, having known the generals that I talked about last week and this week, to go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you do, pick out when he's writing from the non-Christian perspective or when he's writing from the Christian perspective or at times when he vacillates between non-Christian and Christian. See if you can identify that and learn from it. How to, as I said, put on your Christian thinking cap and see things as God wants you to see it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, how grateful we are this morning that you have spoken to us very clearly in your word. You've told us what you want us to know. And what you want us to do. And how to live our life. Knowing who we are. Who you are. Why we're here. And where we're going. Help us, O oh Lord. And even as we come to the Lord's table. Remind us. Of the saving work that Christ has done for us. So that we'll know. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to your mercy, you have saved us. And you've given us your Holy Spirit to enable us to live in the fear of God, keeping his commandments, just as he instructs us to do. And to that end, we're thankful and grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.